According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are once again in the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 10 this morning. Proverbs chapter 10, picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. We uh, got a good start on verses 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11 forms an inclusio. I just remembered I was supposed to change a typo, and I'm pretty sure I didn't do that. But we have an inclusio here in verses 6 through 11, and an inclusio is a, is a poetic structure. It is a, a literary structure whereby we start with a concept, we end with a sub, uh, concept. Um, it's like a, a sandwich construction where you've got a top slice of bread and a bottom slice of bread and then the good meat in the middle of that sandwich. And uh, that's, so that's what we have here. And in verse 6, we read, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked uh, conceals violence. And when you glance down to verse 11, you, you find the repetition there. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And so, word for word, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. It opens the, the passage, it closes the passage, and we got this stretch of verses here, six verses, uh, that form an inclusio. And that's uh, where we left off uh, the last time we were together here, two weeks ago today. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside distractions, asking for humility to receive the word implanted. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before your throne of grace this morning. I'm just so thankful, Father, not one of us deserves to be here. Who are we that we should be brought into your presence, that you would make known your wisdom, that you would instruct us, Father, in your in your counsel? And yet here we are, by your grace, we are your children, by your grace, we are your students, by your grace, Father, we are the recipients of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so, Father, today we're delighted once again to present ourselves before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Lead us in your truth. I thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so in the outline then, point eight is where we are. Point eight is a six-verse, 12-line inclusio. Take the N off of that word, it shouldn't be inclusion, it should be inclusio. Uh, a six-verse, 12-line inclusio paints the present and the future contrast between the righteous and the wicked. There is a contrast in time and in eternity, both now and forever. And the contrast, we ought to have an attitudinal contrast immediately, right here, right now. But then the consequences of that attitudinal contrast that, that have effects uh, in both in time and in eternity, the idea of the memory of the righteous being blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Let's go ahead and read all six of these verses, starting in verse six. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in the integrity in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. All right, and that's our inclusio, that's our text as we look at it. We've covered so far verse uh, 
6, the difference between something sitting on your head and something hidden in your mouth, is uh, uh, something that's on the head is in full public display. Anyone can look at it and anyone should look at it. Uh, why is that crown sitting on your head? Okay, uh, Anything on your head is as visible as it can get. Blessings on the head are in full view for open display. And that's a true blessing. I love Christianity, biblical Christianity. I love the nature of the Christian way of life whereby there's nothing hidden, there's nothing concealed. It's all in the transparency of serving the Lord, you know, walking in the integrity of our heart. If there's a passage of Scripture, show it to me. I'm not afraid of anything. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a glory uh, related to just the transparency and the simplicity of, uh, of walking with the Lord. So blessings on the head are in full view for open display, whereas the wicked mouth is a place of concealment. In all these passages, starting here in Proverbs 10, 6 and 11, in Proverbs 12, 18, in Psalm 55, 21, Psalm 57, 4, 59, 7, and 64, 3, in all of these Psalms and Proverbs we find the nature of the mouth that has things hidden, that's deceptive, where, where you can act one way, but internally the reality is something just the opposite. And that you think this person's your friend and they're really waiting to stab you in the back. And how vicious is the mouth? Why is it that the tongue and the lips and the mouth uh, are all uh, described with weaponry uh, language, right? Spears and swords and knives and daggers and other ways um, that the mouth hurts, Okay. And so the little children's ditty my mother taught me was a lie. Sticks and stones, uh, yes, they can break my bones. And words, uh, you know, the, the, the nursery rhyme says words can never hurt me, but that's a lie. Words can hurt. Words can hurt for decades. They can hurt for a long, long time. And that's the nature, that's how powerful words are and the responsibility we have in the image of God to communicate effectively, to communicate graciously, that our speech might be seasoned with salt as with grace in all things. Because otherwise we can do some horrible, horrible damage with our words. And so the wicked mouth as a place of concealment is, is a feature here that we want to be aware of. We also uh, talk about the contrasting legacies in uh, verse 7. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And a contrast in terms of the legacies, there's the eternal memory versus the eternal decay, uh, that, uh, those who will be eternally forgotten. And uh, maybe they're making a big splash here and now, but uh, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, if you were to mention so-and-so, uh, we'll all be saying, uh, who? What are you talking about? And uh, we won't even remember who you're talking about. And in fact, the memory will be so perished that you can't even mention so-and-so, right? Because they are so eternally forgotten. And uh, the blessing that we have here, and this is what we want to pass on to our children, our grandchildren, the next generation, a name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ, that here is a believer who bears the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, in themselves they're nothing, but in Christ they're everything. And so being able to pass that heritage and that legacy on, uh, being able in, in, a, in a funeral service to, to just to commemorate how faithful the Lord is. And if we're going to eulogize, let's eulogize Jesus Christ. Let's say good things about Jesus Christ. That's the only reason that the, the dearly departed one, their life has any meaning, any significance. If they're in heaven today, they're in heaven today because of Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we want to eulogize, that we want to celebrate in our memorial or funeral messages.
All right, and so that was point C, or I'm sorry, point B, which I believe we wrapped up two weeks ago, uh, even including Matthew 25, 41, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Uh, let me just grab those quickly. Um, but the memory of the wicked is just eternal decay, eternal destruction. Uh, the fire has, the eternal fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's significant. Matthew 25, 41, when he says to those on his right, this is the sheep and goat judgment and, and uh, the distinction is between the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, they didn't earn heaven by the good deeds they did in blessing the Jewish people. Uh, the good deeds they did was a reflection of their righteousness in, uh, in this contrast. And so, um, verse 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And this is the nature of destruction. It is eternal destruction. It's not annihilationalism. It's not, uh, it's not of a finite duration. They don't stop being. They are eternally destroyed. And the description in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 is maybe the most vivid of all. 2 Thessalonians 1.9. 2 Thessalonians a lot of times is the forgotten book of eschatology because we're so eager to get into Daniel or Revelation or in the Old Testament prophets. But I tell you, 2 Thessalonians gives us the Pauline eschatology in so many ways, uh, dealing with the rapture and the second advent and tribulation. All right, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. So um, we're thankful here in this chapter, and then it says in verse 5 or verse 4, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. A pastor is proud of a local church when they stick with doctrine no matter how tough the conflict gets. It's not that they have no problems, they have all kinds of problems, but God has been faithful in the midst of every conflict. And so he's able to boast about the Thessalonian believers here because of their perseverance and faith. He says in verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. If you're having tough times, that's a good thing. That's an indication that God is righteous and that he's, he's looking out for you and he's holding you faithful in the midst of all this. So that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. After all, it is only just or righteous or fair for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. If you ever want to grumble about fairness, come to this verse and remind yourself that fairness is on an eternal scale. Stop looking at temporal circumstances and saying, well, it's not fair. I don't like what I'm dealing with today. It's not fair. Why should I have this going on today? Well, of course it's fair. God's always fair in all that he does, but on an eternal scale. And this momentary light affliction is going to produce something even greater. And so payback is coming, but it's not coming till second advent. So just chill out, relax, <laughs> wait until payback is applied. And so it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you as, uh, who are afflicted and to us as well. Notice the when in verse 7. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. <laughs> All right. So do you see Jesus revealed yet? Do you see the mighty angels in flaming fire yet? No. And uh, you can't see that for seven years anyway, because that's second advent. Rapture comes first. So quit looking for payback here and now. Quit looking for payback in the church age. It's not going to happen. See, 
So pay attention to verse 7 in that when statement. Likewise, in 1 Peter 5, there's a similar when statement for the faithful shepherds, when you, the, the pastors who shepherd the flock of God. They will receive their reward when the chief shepherd appears. You shall receive the unfading crown of glory. You're not promised any rewards here and now. If he gives you special blessings in time, great. If he doesn't, great. It's his business. But the reward comes when the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Pay attention to those wind statements. So when he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the meantime, <clears throat> this enemy that you're so busy hating, why don't you spend your time giving him the gospel and getting him saved? And then you can quit hating him. And then uh, he won't need the payback anymore because he'll be redeemed with you and me as, as these things happen. Now, then the consequence in verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. So when does that stop? It never stops. It is an eternal destruction. It is not a finite destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The nature of the lake of fire is that eternal separation. And... uh, you know, even now, there's so much common grace as, as all these unbelievers are, are breathing God's air and, and looking at God's creation and seeing God's light and all the, the common grace that, that they don't earn or deserve. That's going to be gone. The lake of fire is eternal separation in total darkness. It's a dark fire, if you ever think of that. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. And you talk about a marvelous day. What a day that will be. All right, so there's the consequences in a contrasting legacy. There's our legacy, there's their legacy. And uh, either eternal memory, never to be forgotten, or eternal decay, eternal forgetfulness, eternal destruction, never to be remembered ever again. Which gets us now to verse 8. So returning to Proverbs 10. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Here's the next contrast that we're looking at in this inclusio. Receiving commands demonstrates the personal intimacy of a believer walking humbly with his God. Receiving commands. The wise of heart will receive commands. And this is our delight. Again, we love the scriptures. We love the commands of God. His, his commands are not burdensome, right? Uh, I, I love being yoked to Jesus Christ. His burden is light. If we're weary or heavy laden, let's, let's go to him. All right? The wise of heart will receive commands. See, it's, this is the blessings of living in the word of God and receiving commands. The personal intimacy of a believer walking humbly with his God. What is expected of you, O oh man? Okay, this is the simplicity of our Christian walk. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. The uh, contrast that we have with the babbling fool, <laughs> okay? Someone that, and, and I think in both cases we're talking about believers, you know, he's regenerate, he's going to go to heaven when he dies, but right now he's not walking with the Lord. He's just a babbling fool, and probably he's not uh, receiving commands because he thinks he knows it all anyway. He thinks he knows it all. Why, why go to Bible class? Why listen to what God has to say? I, you know, I've, I've read the Bible before, I know what it says. 
you know, and there's just this arrogance that, that thinks that there's a time that we just can stop learning. We can never stop learning. And I think it's, uh, it's pretty cut and dry in this respect. The psalmist in Psalm 139 didn't have that kind of arrogance. Remember Psalm, let's see, Psalm 119 and verse 34. Psalm 119. I know a young man that's teaching Psalm 119 these days. So I listened to his messages and appreciate him filling in for me when I was out of town. Thankful that he did such a good job, hoping he didn't do too good a job or <laughs> deacons will say just stay away we don't need you back we got this guy but in psalm 119 we have the hey strophe starting in verse 33 it says teach me O lord the way of your statutes you see how humble he is he's always learning he never stops learning and i shall observe it to the end I will never stop being a student of the Word of God as long as I'm alive on this earth. We're just going to keep learning and keep growing. I want to learn something on my last day here that I never knew before. I want to keep on learning. Give me understanding, verse 34 says, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. This is the blessing of being a disciple, of being just humble and walking with the Lord. It's not lip service. It's not phony. It's not half-heartedness. Is wholehearted obedience, that I may keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. That's that Hebrew word we saw in the 9 o'clock hour. We were looking at, the, I think it's chafetz, I believe. That, uh, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Just give an eagerness. The whole strophe here, the whole hay strophe is uh, addressing this principle. All right, we go over next to Psalm 143, verses 8 through 10. Psalm 143, verses 8 through 10. Another Davidic psalm. I don't think Psalm 119 is Davidic. I think it's at the time of the exile and the captivity. I think it was a young man uh, taken away to the death march in uh, 586 B.C., and each day on that death march, he composed another strophe along the way. Uh, but Psalm 143, in contrast, is Davidic, verses 8 through 10. Uh, it's a prayer. starts off with a prayer in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Uh, in verse uh, 7, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. You know, admittedly, in the hum- human realm... Um, we, we kind of get in a hurry, don't we? <laughs> we want some answers sooner rather than later. And we start to think that if an answer doesn't come quick enough, then you know, there's no point even in praying. Okay? And all of that is strictly human. God doesn't operate on our timetable. And uh, he, when he says, behold, I come quickly, you know, that might be 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so uh, when David says, answer me quickly, you know, put it in that, in that context. Do not hide your face from me or I will become like those who go down to the pit. You know, Lord, you can answer any time you want, but uh, if it's not soon, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be dead, okay, going down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. So we're going to start every day, first thing in the morning, we're going to be oriented to the Word of God. And that's much more edifying than the Austin American Statesman. 
or you know, starting your day with uh, Fox and Friends, right? Mornings are better with friends. No, mornings are better with Scripture, okay? With the Word of God, orienting to the Word of God. So uh, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. What does uh, Lamentation say? Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Uh, for I trust in you. Teach me in the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. For I take refuge in you. I'm going to have some trouble today, Lord. I want to start with Scripture and I want to be reminded that uh, I'm with you day by day. And uh, there's enemies that today that think they got me, but I'm with you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And so each day then becomes a journey on this day, on this day. And maybe tomorrow is going to be rough or whatever. The next day, well, I'm not worried about the next day. I'm worried about this day. This day is the day I'm, I'm praying over. Each day has enough evil for its own. So let's just take it one day at a time. Teach me to do your will. And, and I'm not going to be so prideful to think that, well, because I did a pretty good job with it yesterday, that today is going to be a, a walk in the park or an easy thing. No, today I need to be taught by the Lord to do His will. Verse 11, for the sake of your name, O revive me, O Lord, revive me. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. And, uh, well, there you have it. How about Micah? Micah 6, 8. Say, well, whoever heard of Micah? Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Just a minor prophet. There's no doctrine there. (laughs) Oh, I tell you, there's so much doctrine in Micah. The um, Where am I headed here? Micah 5 is where Bethlehem is prophesied. Micah 7 is where our sins are cast in the depths of the sea. Micah 6, um, verse 6 says... With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? How can I possibly bring a sacrifice that's worthy of the Lord God, creator of the universe? You know, I can't afford what he's worth. I can't afford, you know, what would it cost? to bring thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. Who can afford that? And, and really, is, 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 is it about what we bring? Is it about our offerings? Is it, is it about, what is it about? What is the true reality of our worship in spirit and in truth? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. All of the ritual is supposed to represent a reality and all the doctrine that you learn and the shadow doctrine of of sacrifices and offerings and all of the Levitical code, everything that was given in the Old Testament as shadow doctrine was supposed to teach the reality of what this verse here. And and Micah got it. This is the reality. David got it. The Psalm 119 psalmist got it. And uh, the true believers of the Old Testament understood that the shadows were shadows and reality is reality. 
David knew when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he murdered Uriah. He knew there is no sacrifice for that. Leviticus does not save him. Leviticus condemns him as a murderer, as an adulterer. Two times David should have been put to death. And there was no kind of sacrifice that that the Levitical priesthood was ever going to rescue David in, in that circumstance. But it's about the realities of forgiveness. And uh, so we see it here. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And so as you're walking, God says things. As you're walking, commands are issued. As you're walking, day by day by day, we have that that imminency of, of walking with the Lord. And we run with endurance, the race that's set before us. And what if on this particular day, he says, turn here. And you look at that test and you say, uh, no thanks, I don't want to turn here, that, that looks unpleasant, that, I, you know. No, the Lord says turn here. And that's the, the course that we're supposed to run, the race that's set before us. And um, it requires the, uh, the, imminent, the, in, the intimacy of walking with Him day by day. And it may be that there's a curve we didn't expect, I didn't see that coming. And that's God's grace again, not telling you too much too soon. <laughs> not cluing you in ahead of time of things that would probably overwhelm you or overwhelm me. You know, just, just let's keep it day by day. And uh, when, uh, when something arises, I'll, I'll just stay intimate with the Lord. I'm yoked to Him anyway. So, you know, we're, we're, we're yoked together like a pair of oxen. If He's turning that way, I'm going to turn that way and let's, let's do it. Okay. I don't want to break the yoke and go off my own little path over here. All right. And the voice of the Lord will call to the city and its sound wisdom to fear your name, hero tribe, who has appointed its time. Anyway, um, just got to listen day by day. Receiving commands demonstrates the personal intimacy of a believer. Whereas, man, the idiot, the, the uh, uh, boastful man, let me get back to Proverbs now, the babbling fool, the guy who uh, just won't quit talking long enough to listen, right? Well, what's the outcome of his, of his way of life going to be? You know, even from childhood, I remember one of my Sunday school teachers pointing out, you got one mouth and two ears, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> you should spend twice the amount of time listening and not so much time talking. And evidently, I, I was one of the chatterboxes in Sunday school, apparently. And uh, thankfully, the teacher there was kind enough to uh, address that. All right, point D, the crafty life. The crafty life fears exposure, but the walk of integrity has nothing to fear. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. So we have verse 9 here of Proverbs 10. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. All right, so we got another verse that deals with the perverts, okay? We're going to get in trouble again, because here we go. We're using language that's not appropriate anymore. Our culture has done away with perversion by declaring that it's normal and that there are no perverts. Um, and if you call somebody a pervert or if you call an activity perverted, well, then you're just hateful and judgmental and, and uh, what's wrong with you? Uh, nevertheless, I'm not afraid of these things. Here we have it. Um, there are, there's integrity and there's not integrity. There's God's standard and then there's everything else. 
And if it falls short of the glory of God, if it misses the mark, if it is a change to what God designed, well, who are we to do that change? It is a perversion. It is not alternative, it's perverted. And uh, we, we want to be clear on this. We have the crafty like uh, life, and you know the. Um, and we're going to see this gets continued in verse ten because he's winking the eye and he's he's signaling he's he's actually got a conspiracy at work um, in uh, some of his partners in crime here, um, perverting his ways. Chapter seventeen also addresses this. Proverbs seventeen twenty. Nice parallel to 10.9. Proverbs 17.20 He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. So we have mental attitude perversion, verbal perversion, uh, overt activity perversion in this crafty life. In this something, craftiness. Our devil, you know, the adversary of the devil is the crafty one. And in some ways, the vocabulary is identical to the vocabulary of wisdom, of discernment. If you have wisdom, uh, you have God's kind of wisdom. If you have a, a crooked kind of wisdom, a perverted kind of wisdom, uh, I think the New American Standard or most English texts will render it something like crafty, right? The craftiness of the crafty, that God will catch the craftiness in their, uh, the crafty in their craftiness. Uh, but it's the same term. It's, it's, it tends to be a term of wisdom, a term of insight, a term of prudence. It's just twisted in its uh, application. And they get good at what they're doing. The liars get to be better liars. The cheaters get to be better cheaters. The thieves get to be better thieves. And uh, both hand, concerning iniquity, both hands do it well. They've uh, got so much practice at their wickedness, they're now ambidextrous in their, uh, in their perversions. All right? And in, uh, in, in so many respects, uh, it, it almost becomes an argument or an apologetic on, on the negative side. The, the wicked doers like to argue. They say, well, it works. It works. And they have a, they've got a, a methodology that they say, well, it makes me feel better. I'm happier. Um, I, uh, you know, it works. It must be good. No, you've made it work because you've gotten so good at it, but it doesn't make it good the better you get at it. It still defies the will of God. It totally defies the will of God. All right, the walk of integrity has nothing to fear. And these passages I enjoy as well. Um, we've already seen Proverbs 10, 9a, the stability that's there. And the uh, walking securely walking securely that's a big red flag in in my mind and and for over the years 20 years of minister of, of pastoring the the contrast between stable and unstable i point to that i don't know how many times and i ask i ask po- folks i say well you know this doesn't seem to be a stable way of life why is that the word of god provides stability why why don't you have it well, what's the what's the contrast here is it the word of god letting you down or are you not using the word of god what's the what's the deal and uh, in, in terms of stability versus un, uh, instability, you know, a girl tells me she's thinking about marrying this guy. Well, he doesn't seem very stable in my mind. What, what you know, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know, or the other way around, there's a guy who's looking at a girl and she's all pretty and whatever, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of stability there. What are you looking at? The, the contrast is given in the word of God in this way. 
And so I like the walking securely there. We get to Proverbs 28, and it comes back again. You know, I think about Ephesians. You know, we're not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're supposed to be stable. We're supposed to be grounded. Proverbs 28 and verse 18. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once. And so there's the contrast. And you know, if, if you're living a crooked life, if you're living a, a, a dodgy kind of life, the problem with that is, is you gotta you gotta remember all your lies. You gotta remember all your craftiness. You gotta remember, you know, which story you told to which person. Whereas the simplicity of of, of the genuine life is just the truth. And uh, you're speaking the truth in love, and you're living the truth, and you're not hiding anything. Okay, you know, it's like. Uh, sneaky teenagers trying to hide stuff from their parents, trying to the drugs they're doing or the sex they're having or, or whatever other kind of rules they're breaking. And so they're sneaking around and they're hiding from this and they're hiding from that and they're whatever, you know, in a motel room or a back seat or whatever. And they're just crafty and sneaking and hiding and dodgy and terrified of being found out, you know. But the beauty of God's plan is everything is transparent. Everything is in the open. And you know, you're, you, uh, you get married before you... Uh, this whole Michael Phelps thing bugs me because he's got a baby and he's got a fiancé. And, I, you know, it, shouldn't it be the other way around? <laughs> you know, get your fiancé first and then get married and then, you know... Anyway. But this is what we're talking about. The, the, it, everything is public, everything is in the open, everything is transparent, and it's before the Lord, and you're leaving father and mother, and you're cleaving to one another, and the two become one flesh, and there is nothing ashamed, nothing hidden, nothing secret, no sneaking around, there's no any of that. It's all beautiful in the plan of God. And uh, we can appreciate that as well. All right, so uh, that's Proverbs 28, 18. How about Psalm 25, 21? Psalm 25, 21. Another Davidic psalm. Again, there's just so much here. There's no question that the the, uh, the author of Psalm 119 was influenced by the Davidic um, hymns. There's no question on that. When you notice, um, uh, to you, O Lord, I lift up, verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Uh, indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. You know, you will never be disappointed by applying doctrine. <laughs> God will never let you down when you are living your convictions of the Word of God. You will never have a regret for applying the Word of God. Those who deal treacherously without cause, those are the guys who will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. I love that. The causative stem to make, cause me to know something. There's a difference between teaching and causing somebody to know something. <laughs> okay? Um, and both uh, expressions are there in verse 4. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Anyway, it's just a beautiful psalm. I'm headed down to verse 21, and without reading the uh, whole psalm, 
Verse 20 says, guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. You know, the outcome is in God's hands, but as for me and my house, you know, this is, I'm going to live the word of God. And if I, if I'm making a mistake, I'm making a mistake, but in the integrity of my heart, I'm applying the doctrine as I understand it. I'm living the word of God and it's just integrity and uprightness. And if I'm wrong, he'll show that to me too. He'll make those adjustments. He'll, he'll adjust my thinking where it needs to be adjusted. But for now, this is my conviction and this, these are the choices I've, I'm making. And so it's in his hands, integrity and uprightness. It's preservative. Then Psalm 84, 11. Psalm 84, 11. This is not Davidic. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. So much here in terms of... Uh... Okay, it's only 12 verses. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. Well, which dwelling places are those? Is this the temple? The temple hadn't been built yet. The temple doesn't get built till Solomon's day. Uh, the sons of Korah, the choir that David structured and organized in his generation, although we don't know when uh, Psalm 84 was actually written. But dwelling places, plural. Dwelling places, plural. Not singular. Not the Holy of Holies. Not the temple. I think this is like John 14. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. I think this is a heavenly context. I think this is a believer in the Old Testament that understands angelology and understands the heavenly realm, the invisible realm, as well as the earthly realm. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart uh, are the highways to Zion, verse 5. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. So the longer you stay in the word of God, the more stability you receive from strength to strength. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, you talk about humility. You know, I think about the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus encountered, and she said, look, I'm just a dog trying to get table scraps. (laughs) You know, Um, just a Gentile dog. And here's the psalmist thinking, you know, if all I get is on the threshold, if I can just sit on the front stoop, the front step, and, and you know, at least if I'm this close, I can hear the music coming from, out, from inside. I can smell the, the feasting. I can smell the food from inside. And, and uh, just being on the porch is better than the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What a promise. Combine this with, with uh, James 1. Combine this with every good thing, every perfect gift bestowed. Comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. You know, if, he, if he's given it to you, it's good. If he's withheld it, it's not good. 
because no good thing does he withhold. You may want it. You may think it's good. (laughs) And it may be good someday, but not right now. You don't need it right now. Right now he's testing you without it. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. And so you talk about a, a walk of integrity. You talk about stability and the grace of what God supplies. How would you trade that for anything? See. And the principle there, all right? Verse E, verse 10, point E. The crafty life produces temporal and eternal trouble. The crafty life produces temporal and eternal trouble. Both in time and in eternity. Proverbs 10.10. And actually this is a repeat from something we already studied back in chapter 6. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The winking of the eye, this is when you now have partners in crime. Now you're coordinating your carnality with somebody else. Now you're saying one thing while you wink over here to your buddy to, to go along with the, with the deceit. Okay? I'm spinning a bunch of lies and I want you to play along with it, so I, I give you the little wink signal, and so you go along with it. Okay? And in, uh, if, if you're just, you know, fooling around, goofing, that's, that's one thing. But um, in this context and in the, the nature of this, we understand this is a serious deal. This is someone that intends complete harm upon a person. And like I say, it's kind of a repeat from what we've already seen back in chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eye, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers. All the different ways that you have to, to clue somebody in, right? Look for my signal. You know, I got my fingers crossed. So what I say now just doesn't count, okay? Or, uh, you know, if I tap my foot in a certain way, then you got the signal. And, and whatever it may be, I'm, I'm approaching, you know, I'm approaching and, and the one whom I kiss is the one you need to arrest, all right, he's the one. And, and whatever other form or fashion the betrayal takes. A worthless person, a, a belial, a wicked man as the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with the eyes, who signals with the feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. If he's not committing a sin, he's thinking about the next time he can. <laughs> right? He is continually, every thought of the intent of his heart was only on evil continuously. That's the description from Genesis 6 before the flood. And here we see it. But with perversity in his heart, continually devises evil. This is the judgment of God in Romans 1 when he gives the person over to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. Who spreads strife, therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. And so there is judgment in time, there's judgment in eternity. It's the crafty life that produces temporal and eternal trouble. And we want no part of that. No part of that at all. We are, yes is to be yes, our no is to be no, our statements are to be true. We're to walk in, in spirit and in truth. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. We're not going not gonna to say one thing while we wink at something else. We're certainly not going to be preaching about particular sins while we're living a lifestyle that's totally at odds with that 
You know, I, it just boggles my mind how these preachers get caught and they find out that they've had a, a mistress for 10 years or 20 years or whatever. You know, I mean, how do you preach? How do you, how do you minister? How do you, how do you do that? It just, it just boggles the mind. No, it's not the crafty life. It's the genuine life. Job 5.13 and 1 Corinthians 3.19, I think, are other uh, passages that correlate very well with this principle. Job 5.13. And, um, of course, Eliphaz is wrong in assigning guilt to Job, but nevertheless, the the principles are, are valid. Uh, in general terms, as far as wickedness is concerned, as far as sin is concerned, and so forth. So we don't totally ignore everything in, in chapters 4 and 5 just because Eliphaz is assuming that Job is guilty. And so um, Job 5, 8, But as for me, I would seek God. I would place my cause before God. So come on, Job, just confess. Be honest. Lay your case before God who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth, sends water on the field, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Uh, to safety. So come on, Job, all you got to do is humble yourself, confess. Own up to what you've done, God will restore you. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd, so that their hands cannot attain success. And you know, sometimes even when he allows their hand to attain success, they get no joy out of it. They're, 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 they have victory and everything. They get everything their wicked mind can hope for. And they're as miserable as they've ever been. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness. And the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. And so there it is. By day they meet with the darkness and grope at noon as at the night. He saves from the sword of the mouth and the poor from the hand of the mighty. So the helpless has hope, and the unrighteousness, and unrighteousness must shut its mouth. All right? Nothing wrong with any of those verses. They're all accurate. They're all acceptable. They're all valid principles of wisdom literature. The only wrongness is in, in uh, Eliphaz's assumption that uh, Job is, has something that he's got to confess, something he's guilty of. Okay? He is totally innocent. And without sin, at least as far as this chapter is concerned, he'll become a fault finder and and sin uh, shortly after this chapter. All right, 1 Corinthians And it's Paul's quotation from Job 5. <laughs> okay. And um, the perspective. Oh, what a perspective. And um, so schismatic and so divided over uh, Paul and Apollos and all these guys. And, and Paul's trying to highlight for them. And we're going to see uh, this chapter very soon in Galatians uh, because they're just nobodies. Okay. And there's a principle here in verse 7 that says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And so what is Paul? What is Apollos? We're just a bunch of nobodies. 
Okay? And this principle comes up in Galatians very quickly, in Galatians 6, where we have to examine ourselves, and if we think we are somebody when we are nobody, we deceive ourselves. And uh, with that kind of a pride, we'll never bear one another's burdens, we'll never restore such a one, we'll never uh, carry our own load, we'll never operate appropriately in the, in the, the uh, pneumatological expectations there of Galatians chapter 6. So this chapter, uh, we're going to be here you know, a couple of times, I think, in the, in the coming weeks. Um, so it, it's in this description then of the judgment seat of Christ that, he, that Paul takes them through these principles. So um, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. It's all about what God's doing and how we're fellow workers in God's plan. And um, and this, now we get down to verse um, 19, uh, 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And that's why it's vital that we care for one another as we build up one another. We want to put the best building materials into one another because they're worthy of it. Not themselves, but the temple of God is worthy of it. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. And the problem is that we get too clever by half. We, uh, we start to think that we're, we're clever. We start to think that we know everything. We got it all figured out. We got a great handle on all of it. And the moment we get there, we've, we've abandoned God's wisdom. We realize, no, wait a minute. It's day by day. It's moment by moment. It's, it's a child trusting in his father. Uh, and if we think we've got it figured out, if we think we're sufficient in ourselves, in our own wisdom, what we've accumulated, uh, we need to rethink that. We need to become foolish so that we may become wise. Just go ahead and reassign yourself that fool category. We, we taught this. We had foolishness lessons back when we taught this chapter. How to become foolish. All right? You must become foolish. So if you're not foolish, become foolish. We become the right kind of foolish in God's eyes. Okay? The right kind of foolish. So that you may become wise. Become, become the blithering idiot that your uh, evolutionary unbelieving neighbor uh, thinks you are. Okay? Go ahead and just become that and embrace that. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And that's the citation that we just read from from Job chapter 5. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Okay, That comes out of Psalm 94. So you see what we do? Why we teach the way that we teach? The way we take Scripture and compare it to Scripture? Take Job 5, take Psalm 34, put these things together, Psalm 94, all right? Synthesize the whole counsel of the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's what the New Testament does, okay? (laughs) I liked your post, the Quran doesn't do that. The Quran just says, throw away your Old Testament, throw away your New Testament, start over with this. And, uh, you know, the Book of Mormon does the same thing. The Quran doesn't, the New Testament doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And all Scripture has to agree with all Scripture. God is not a liar. Every passage is true. And every passage harmonizes with every other passage of Scripture. I think it's critical that we get that. All right. But he catches the crafty in their craftiness. And uh, so there you have it. The let no one boast in men for all things belong to you. And we're going to be reminded of this again in, in Galatians uh, 6, how to boast, how to boast appropriately as we bear our own load and we're going to boast in the Lord.
All right, so that's coming up also. Finally, then, we have the deadly mouth. The deadly mouth. Let me get back to, we got point F. And I don't know that I can do it in six minutes, but point F. Back to this deadly mouth we've been looking at. The deadly mouth can also be a life saver. Well, how is how does that work? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The same mouth. The same mouth. The same tongue that blesses is the same tongue that curses. The same mouth. That deadly mouth can also be a life saver. And if you think about... Um, like the Apostle Paul and uh, before the Damascus Road and after the Damascus Road, what kind of things came out of his mouth? <laughs> okay, well, before he was casting his vote against Christians. He was, uh, he was testifying against uh, the real believers and having them thrown into prison and, and all that. After the Damascus Road event, think about what came out of the mouth of the Apostle Paul, what came from his pen, what came in, in terms of the revealed canon of Scripture. And it's the same mouth. So that's a lot of verses. We'll save this for next week. Because um, it's not only verse 11 here. Look down to verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. That's a good thing. But the heart of the wicked is worth little. Verse 21. Uh, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. So we have the mouth, we have the tongue, we have the, the lips. Verse 32. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. And in so many ways, I tell you, the blessings that we have to communicate, what God has blessed us with in, in building one another up or in tearing one another down, the accountability we have for our speech, it's going to be pretty vital. So we'll, uh, we'll spend some time with this next week. I'd hate to get a start on it and leave it in an awkward spot. All right. Any questions, comments, complaints? All right, I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for the blessings of being able to return to this study. I ask that you might take this truth, equip each one of us, bless each one of us, Father, implant this truth in our soul that we might live it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I do thank you, Father, in his most precious and holy name. Amen.